Hello, this is Ellis Prince, the pastor of the Gallery Church of Baltimore. I want to thank you for joining our podcast today. I hope this teaching inspires you and gives you courage to pursue Jesus Christ. I hope that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. If we can help you in any way, please feel free to reach out. Now let's get back to the podcast. Good morning, church. Um, My name is Anu. Um, The first reading will be from Genesis 1, from verse 1 through 3, and it's from the New Living Translation today. Um, And it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and the darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was good. He then separated the light from the darkness. The next set of um, scriptures will be from John 1, from verses 1 through 18. Give me a moment while I pull them up. It says, In the beginning, the word was already existing. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, and they even rejected him. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They, were re- they are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And he ha- um, we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one I was talking about when I said, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness comes through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. This is God's word. Thank you, Nick. All right, well, with that, so we are going to attempt to take on the Gospel of John over 21 weeks. So there's 21 chapters. So every week we're going to ask that we focus on one chapter. Now, some of the chapters are incredibly long. We will probably be reading the majority of those texts in our gatherings together. But it is our request of you, all, every one of you, to read John chapter 1 for the next six days as we focus on this text. So if you, by chance, use the the prayer liturgy that we introduced in January during our prayer week, and it's it's still posted for you in the More tab in the app, and under the prayer liturgy, there's a space where it says the gospel reading. So when you pray through that and you get to the gospel reading, what chapter are you going to read this week? 
John chapter 1. And you're going to let that drive the way that we pray and we listen and we talk to God all week. And then next week, it'll be John chapter 2. So when you get to that place in the prayer liturgy, what chapter do we focus on? John chapter 2. So you guys get the drift. And so this is the desire for us, is that we're not just having a teaching taught on Sunday, because John puts too much almost into every verse. So we, we could literally go verse by verse, and we would probably spend three to four years going through the Gospel of John. So we are trying to condense this. We're going to be adding some resources in the app throughout the series to help us. But the desire is during this series for us to get to know whom? Jesus. Jesus Jesus, Jesus. So if you were a part of our January teaching, the first Sunday in January, we said that there is one word that should be our word for the entire year. And based upon the slide, what do you think that word is? Jesus. All right. Can we all say that confidently? Jesus. So there's no doubt. Like there are other really good words. Like some people will put a theme on their year. And like, hey, I just, I, I want to have um, some sort of perseverance or this is a breakthrough or this is going to be my year for love or whatever it is people come up with every time January rolls around. I'm just saying there is a word above all words and that word is Jesus. All right. And so we are going to try to figure out what it looks like to see Jesus as the rescuing love of God and this welcoming love of God on display in Jesus Christ. And so hopefully we can get through this and accomplish a lot together along the way. And so the word is Jesus. Now the problem is whether you're in the church or you're outside of the church, the word in the name of Jesus is causing a lot of different emotions in people. Not all positive. I know people that I'm around constantly in restaurants that use the name of Jesus nonstop. I hear Jesus' name all over Baltimore constantly. But I don't believe that they're acting like he's present with them. Generally, Jesus comes up at times when somebody has committed an error on the ball game on the TV. Or somebody has come by with an excessive amount of perfume on. You know, it's like there are so many moments where you hear the name Jesus brought up, but it is not the name above all names. It's not being reverenced and holy. It's not talking about this rescuing love of God, this invitation to see God in his fullness. It's, it, it, it's become very controversial. There's a lot of people right now that don't want to do anything to do with those Jesus people. Because people have found that being around Jesus people then causes a whole lot of negative attachments to it. They're hateful, they're, 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 they're bigoted, they're, they're, they're closed-minded. Like there's so many things that I've heard in local establishments when people find out that I'm a pastor and the things that they say based upon their perception of who Jesus is, who the church is, and then they're confused by all of it because they can't separate Jesus from his image bearers. And they, they're having a hard time saying, well, Jesus said this. Why is the church acting like this? And so there's so much discomfort around the name of Jesus. And there's some of you sitting here right now, if we were to be honest, would probably say you don't feel comfortable talking at your own initiation about Jesus to anybody in your life. You won't bring it up around Thanksgiving. You might not bring it up with a relative. You definitely don't feel comfortable bringing up Jesus at work. 
because you know that it is going to cause discomfort. And because of that, we shy away from even mentioning the name of Jesus, even in the safety of our own home at times, even with children or roommates and all of that. And why has Jesus become so uncomfortable for us? But we also live in a culture that loves origin stories. We love origin stories. Batman. How many different Batman can they be? And movies that release, and they still make a billion dollars every time they change Batman when the best one was Michael Keaton all along, yes, right? Yes, and so you have all these different Batman that come in to play into the story, and they tell the same story about the Wayne family every time, and we still go, we buy a ticket, and we sit down, and we're like, I can't wait to see the origins of Batman, when we already know the story before we sit down. Some of you, like, what made Harry Potter such a big deal? You guys love this. People were drawn into the origin of Harry Potter and then wanted to find out what his life was like all along. There's been so many Superman. There's been so many Spider-Man. There's all these different characters that we find ourselves drawn into their origin stories. Even Buzz Lightyear got his own origin story. Because we are so overwhelmed with origin stories. We couldn't even be satisfied with um, Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. We had to go back and bring back the hobbits. Like, because we had to know the origin of the hobbits in relation to the Lord of the Rings. Like, we are addicted to origin stories. So right now, what I'd like for you to do at your table... I would like for you in groups of two or three to answer the question, which is your favorite gospel and why? When I mean gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, talk to each other. What is your favorite gospel and why? And if you're sitting with your spouse and you want to break it up a little bit, you can move. But if not, it's okay. Great to talk to them about that as well. So go talk to each other. What is your favorite gospel and why? All right, so let me stop you here. I, um, I know that some of you guys are enjoying the table discussion, but somebody just tell me, what, did, what was at the table? What was the favorite gospel, and was there any consensus? Any of you, everybody mentioned the same gospel story at your table. So any of you guys fell into that? All right, so tell me, what was the gospel, and what was your best reason for it to be favorite? You know, it doesn't have to be yours. You can throw somebody else under the bus. John, John, and why? We're about to talk about it. <laughs> That's good. In 21 weeks, it will not be your favorite. You're going to be like, Lord, give me Matthew. You know. So, all right, somebody else. What was your favorite gospel at the table? Okay, we had a Luke. Was there a, a, a reason why? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, that's good. That's good. That's great. Well, I do. I love that. I love how that you can see the different personalities of the writers. Obviously, for those of you that have been around, we did a series through Matthew a number of years ago and Mark. We have not gone through Luke step by step yet. But we find that Mark probably was one of the early writers of the gospel, and some of the others really leaned into his letter to help shape theirs. And Matthew um, was, was writing to a Jewish audience. And so when you find you get into the genealogy and the opening of Jesus, like you find that Matthew was really wanting to make a case predominantly to Jewish people that Jesus was the Messiah. And then Luke had an audience of how many? One. He wrote his letter to one person. We're all benefiting, praise God, but he loved a friend so much, Theophilus, that he wanted him to understand what he had discovered in Jesus Christ. It's a passionate story. Now, the the difference is, is that many of us feel like that John's kind of odd because he's the only one that doesn't do the Christmas story in a traditional way. Like so many times we look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke at the Christmas time, and then we turn to John and we're like, okay, well, all right, so we can bring images of light into the Advent season, but there's really not a lot of Mary, Joseph, and some of our other favorite characters along the way in this particular story. And, but it doesn't mean that John doesn't tell the story because Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't start at the beginning. Matthew, Mark, and Luke start halfway. But Jesus coming to Mary, that's halfway into the story. John's the only gospel writer that starts at the beginning. And he's making it very important. Like He's emphasizing the importance of the entire story of God. And not just Jesus entering into our world to be Emmanuel, God with us. The story of Jesus is much earlier than Mary being told she's conceived and going to be having the Messiah. The Bible is not a collection. This is so important of concise and detailed information like the Aesop's fables. Aesop's fables are notorious for being these short, powerful stories that give you all these great little nuggets along the way. But that's not the Bible. The Bible isn't a story of collected, random stories that are good for our life if we read the Bible and follow after it. Now, yes, there are a plethora of literature designs or types of literature in the Bible, from poetry to history to the detailed lists of things to people that are writing in the first person and other people writing letters. And there's so much happening in the prophecy world and the ways that history is being told. And so what we find out in the Bible is that if we read it as a collection of stories, we many times turn out to act like the story is really about us. Well, what wisdom can I get out of this? How does this story impact me? Now, mind you, those are some great questions, and at times there's relevance to it, but we can't shorten the Bible to like a book like Aesop's Fables where we just go to it to figure out what's good for me. Because the Bible is so much more. When we read it correctly, we read it as a singular story about God. So from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation, the story isn't as much about us as it is about the fact that God from ever, forever, since time has began, it has been about God. Everything about what he's done and not as much about what we must do. 
It's more about him and how he's gone through and demonstrated great acts of love towards all of us. And yet the struggle of the ways in which we've sinned and fallen short and there's been a massive struggle. If some of you need a refresher on this and you want to add a little extra reading this week, the best way to go back and find the entire storyline of God throughout all of the Bible is to read the first four chapters of Genesis to read the first four chapters of the book of Romans and lead the last four chapters of the book of Revelation. That is the quickest way to get a summary of what God has done all throughout human history. First four chapters of Genesis, first four chapters of the book of Romans, and then the last four chapters of Revelation because there is a singular storyline that can be read throughout the entire Bible. The goodness of creation, the fall, the devastation, to the re-entry of Jesus, which is where Matthew, Mark, and Luke come in, to his rescue, his redemption, and then at the end, the complete restoration of everything that was broken. There's, a, there's an arc, a story for all that, and it's so important that we view the Bible as a singular story about God versus a story about us. So over the next 21 weeks, we're going to try to do our best journey through the Gospel of John and other passages of Scripture that we can go to to show how John is tying it all together for the glory of God and for our rescue and welcome into the family of God. It's a powerful journey. Are you guys going to be up for it with me? All right, that means that if you're not here, you're going to have to play along. You're going to have to pay attention online. You're going to have to ask questions. You're going to have to come engaged because there's so much that we can accomplish together if we are willing to go in this. And so with that, how did God rescue us in Jesus and how does he welcome us into his kingdom? Obviously, going back to Genesis chapter 1, we find in Genesis that there is an origin story to everything. The story about how the world came to be, how we came to be, how the animals came to be, and, the, and that was Shark Week coming up, how the fish of the sea came to be. Are any of you guys Shark Week fans in here? Anybody? Oh, am I the only one? Actually, my daughter's like, oh, no, it's that time of year. So they avoid the living room now because I claim the biggest television because I am fascinated. If I wasn't in ministry, I'd be a marine biologist. So um, with that, Genesis tells this story and as Anu was reading for us just the first three verses of this story, there's so much going on in here. I need to highlight three things that John pulls from in John chapter 1 that are found in Genesis chapter 1. The three things are simply this, God, love, and darkness. Those are three things that are mentioned right out of the chute. So what, let's start with God. The first thing is God. When the world was created, there already was God. When the world was created, there already was God. And you're like, well, what does that have to do with anything? Because it shapes everything. If there is no God, then what's the point of us even having a discussion? God was there at the beginning, and then things came to be. He is the only one, the only one that has been all along. And in his moment of creation brought everything to be as a part of who he was. God alone was in the beginning. That everything, everything has its beginning in God. I need to say that one more time. Everything has its beginning in God. It's grounded in God. And it finds its origin in God. And its being is in God. So let me get you guys to talk to each other just for a minute. If everything is grounded in God, 
Everything has its being in God. Everything is from origins are from God. What does that mean for us? Now in groups two, three, answer that question. What does it mean for us that everything is grounded in God and God is at the beginning of all things? What does that mean? What is the practical walk away with that statement? Talk to each other. You're like, man, next week I'm gonna just watch online. Well, those of you online, you need to talk to somebody too. So what does that mean? All right, so what does it mean for us? Somebody give me an answer. If everything begins with, is founded in, and its origins are in God, what does that mean for us? Yes, Andre. Yeah. Yeah, and for those of you listening online couldn't hear that, it's all about us being connected together. Like it's it's it it gives it gives meaning to the usness of life. What else? What does what does that mean for us? How about somebody on this side of the room? Yes. It means that there's intrinsic value to the universe. Uh, so the, um, the, this is intrinsic power of God and his ability to do probably more than we ever could ask, th- think, or imagine. Let me, let me just, let me relate it here. This is one of my favorite fly fishing rods. Now, this fly fishing rod in particular is a freshwater rod. Some of you might understand that you can't go into salt water with certain things, certain alloys, certain metals, because it will immediately destroy it. So I can't take this out into the Chesapeake Bay, nor would I want to go out into the Chesapeake Bay at all. But, um, but this is a freshwater fridge. This, this is a designed rod that will basically allow me to fish in any river in the United States of America. And this is not great for small streams because you you see the length. Imagine being one of these little small streams and trying to figure out how to cast this around trees. Like I can barely swing it around in this room right now. But this rod is designed to catch freshwater fish in moving water sources. And this rod is determined to be good or bad based upon its ability to do what? catch fish in rivers, which are freshwater. So this rod, the value of this rod, the way that this rod actually does what it's designed to do, which is to catch fish, the only way I can say to a friend, yeah, man, these moonshine sticks, this is what it's called. It's a company out of Virginia. Called, this is called the drifter. Like this drifter is designed to catch freshwater fish in the United States or in other places around the world, and it could probably hold up to a 30-pound fish. It's pretty amazing. This is, this is a great rod if I'm using it in fresh water and I'm using it in a large river setting, not in a small stream. This rod is not designed to be a walking stick. This rod, um, and the price is a little bit more than I would want to show you today, and I'm not going to go against this design too much because I don't want to break it. The only thing on this rod that's replaceable is the tip because what I have found is, is when you're walking through the woods, this tip gets caught on a tree branch and it breaks easily, so the company automatically gives you a 
second. <laughs> because this rod is not designed to be a walking stick. So I can't say this rod is good or bad based upon its ability to be a walking stick, right? Because it's not designed to be a walking stick. And when you and I find out that our origin is in God, then that gives the designer stamp to whom? God. God is the one that has designed creation. And so if it has a design to it, then there is a way that it should be used versus a way that it shouldn't be used because the designer made it to do a specific task. You have to know what it has been designed for. And so for many of us, I can't help you relate to the fly fishing story too much because some of you have never fished and you might not understand it, but you can know that you can use certain things as they're designed. Some of you have these multi-tool kits that your family sent with you to Baltimore because most likely your home in Baltimore maybe is your first. And so somebody loved you enough to say, here's what you need to assemble Ikea furniture. So it has an Allen wrench, a Phillips head, a flat head, and you're like, I don't know what that is, but it's in your box, I promise you. But if you take out a screwdriver and try to use it as an ice pick and you're using it out of context for what it's designed for, especially if it's in one of those easy to go apartment kits, you'll probably get two or three chops into the block of ice before the handle breaks off. Because a screwdriver is not designed to be an ice pick. A screwdriver is designed to function, whether with a Phillips head, that's the one with the little star on the top, or the flat head that, that's designed to be there. There's a design for the purpose of the tool, and if you use it outside of its purpose, you will either break the tool or you could cause damage. A lot of people think that a hammer fixes everything. Try to use a hammer to fix your toilet, and you're going to realize that it's a very expensive mistake to try to use your hammer to fix your toilet, because human beings are made by God. Therefore, all the things about who we are as human beings come from our designer. Therefore, we must live up to that design. But if God did not make us, then how do we know what's good or bad? How can you then rate a, a, the, the way in which human beings live their lives if there's no designer? And so what I love about what John is doing in John 1.1, as well as the writer of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in this beautiful poem of creation, they are letting us know from the very, very beginning that there was God. And God had a plan from all along, and his plan is in the design. It is impossible for us to be consistent as human beings apart from God, because in the beginning was God. Well, a lot of people are like, but I want my freedom. One of the things that I love about this region of the United States is that the bald eagle is making a comeback. There are several even cameras that you can find in this area around Maryland where they have cameras set up where you can watch them nest and the way they're raising their young. And so there's been times where I've been on my rooftop overlooking the city and I see a large bird coming by and I'm like, oh, there's a bald eagle. And another moment where my family's like, great, dad's flipping out over nature again. You know, but it's not, if it's not a shark, it's a bald eagle. Like, and it's, it's just amazing to watch them soar over Baltimore City. I've seen them on the eastern shore over the 
ocean, over the, the harborways around the bodies of water, everywhere from Maryland to North Carolina. I love the fact that there's a resurgence of bald eagles. And it is amazing to me to watch how they just effortly extend their wings and they ride the currents of the air and they are majestic in doing so. And at times it seems like there is no effort behind them being the bird that God designed them to be. But if you ever see an eagle on the ground, they are one of the awkwardest moving vehicles or moving things that you have ever seen. Like their wings come in and they have these big powerful legs, but they walk like they've been at the gym and it was leg day every day. <laughs> they, have, they have these massively strong legs and talons but on the ground, if they decided to run away from a wild dog or from a, a, a wolf or a coyote or a fox, and they're like, oh, I'm just, I'm gonna go, I'm just gonna go for a walk or I'm gonna try to get away. Like they are, they are dead to their prey because they're not designed to walk on the ground. They're not designed to burrow holes into the earth. They're designed to mount their wings and find the, the currents of the air and soar the way they were designed. And it is not until they are in the air doing what they were designed to do that they are truly free. They're not free when they're on the ground trying to live like other animals they weren't designed to be like. Their freedom comes from them embracing who God designed them to be. And we live in a world right now that's wanting everybody to be able to say, I want to pick what my freedom is. And the danger with that is, is you can't be what God hasn't designed you to be. And we find that in so many aspects of the way that we're seeking approval from other people that we run after our jobs. Some of you have lived in big cities like New York and you tried to make it in an environment where there is like you work and you pay astronomically high rent and that's all you do because they don't want to give you time in your life for relationships. They don't want to give you time in, the, in your life for rest and establishment because if you take time for relationships and if you take time to rest, which you are designed to do, then you are going to not be able to maintain the cost of living that is being pressed upon you and you're going to be succumbing to all the power structures around you and you're going to burn out or you at best may have to find a quieter place to live because the culture isn't designed for you and I to be who God has made us to be. Now, I don't have time in this teaching. You know, it's going to come out in a couple of weeks, but I need to address this fast. And so how do you know that you are, you are being what God's designed you to be? Just two quick things, and then I need to get back to this point. The first thing is, is that you have to learn to read and obey the Bible. Bottom line, you can't be who God's designed you to be if you don't learn to read and obey. That's just the simplest version. We'll talk about that more in a few weeks. The second thing is, is that the other way that you can be who God's designed you to be with a little bit more specificity, like the first one will help us know what it's like to be good at being human, the way God designed us. But each and every one of us in this space, God might have something specific that he wants you to do that might set you apart from some other people around you. 
a specific calling on your life. And the only way that you can get there to know what God's designed you for is you have to get to know God, you have to learn to pray, and you have to learn to live in deep community with other believers. You will not figure out who you are in the body of Christ until you passionately want to get to know God, until you learn to pray, and then you learn to trust the voices of the Holy Spirit for the ways that we're supposed to be interacting in each other's lives. So we'll come back to that later. So the first thing that we notice in Genesis chapter 1 is that God is at the beginning. That's the first thing. The second thing is love. And you're like, where does love come in? Do you understand that the word hovering here in verse 2 in the Hebrew is a word that's generally associated with a mother bird hovering over the nest of her young as she's preparing to feed them? That's the image of hovering. I'm not thinking about in, the, in some of the other movies where it's like the hovering alien ship. That's not the image I want you guys to have. There's no love really in that image. The image is of the, the care and the nurture and the development that is happening in this hovering moment that is going on. And in this moment, we find in John, excuse me, in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and then we find in John chapter 1 that this hovering is both God and the Word, which we know is Jesus Christ, and the Spirit of God. So this triune God, this trinity that we've re we referred to it as, as Father, Son, Word, and Holy Spirit, are now all involved in this hovering process over the conditions of this darkness and this mess. But together, they're creating the world. And I think we will lose sight of what John is heading towards if we don't understand the way John was interpreting Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, 2, and 3. John is interpreting it that Jesus was that word in that trinity that was speaking life and design into all of humanity at the beginning. And it is an act of love. If we had time, which we will in about 17 weeks, we'll be in John 17. In John 17, John actually talks back to Genesis 1 in John chapter 1 when he talks about the way in which the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are in love with each other, submitting to one another, giving themselves up for one another. So imagine this. There is a God, a Son, and a Spirit in Genesis 1 before the world has been created that is in perfect love with each other. Perfect love. This love of honoring and glorifying one another. Like, we can hardly fathom it, but Paul tries to help us wrap our minds around it in his letters to the early church, especially to the church in Ephesus. And John brings it out in John 17 for the ways in which they, they literally put the other ahead of themselves. Like, I can't hardly imagine what beauty would have come from seeing that honor and that glory that was, that was transpiring between them. So this has huge implications. So if it was God at the beginning and then there's love, the implications for us is this, is that God is personal. John's gospel is set in the foundation that from the beginning, God's been personal. Not just with Jesus showing up, God with you, he's now personal. 
He's now saying to these early writers that are into this early church that God has been personal with us all along. We are designed to follow after God's footsteps in being personal. Learning to lay our lives down for, towards one another. God says that this is essential. God is like the world says to us that you don't have time for relationships. God says to us, relationships are vital. The world says to us that power is what you need. When God says to us, no, power comes out of an overflow of love. Go back to my origin story. The world was birthed out of love. Power came into the world because of love. Power didn't create love. Love birthed power. But so much about what's going on in our culture today is, is you have to have power. And people have power, but yet they have no love, which is anti-creation. God is saying in Genesis 1, 1, 2, and 3 that love comes first. Love came first. The second thing that you need to grasp from this idea that love is at the center of this is this is teaching us what relationships, the nature of relationships are all about. You cannot have a good relationship until you learn to love the way the Father, Son, and Spirit have loved each other. The Father, Son, and Spirit held the other above themselves. They bowed to one another. They made sure that they were submitting themselves to one another. Mutual self-giving is what was happening. Not my needs, but your needs are being done. The self Ellis Prince, you name yourself in this sentence. Ellis Prince is meant to relinquish, to give up, to resign from, to abdicate himself from so that I can serve fully. This church has existed for 15 years because there have been a lot of people that have done this. Some of them aren't still here, but there are, there's a reason why the church has survived in the difficulties of Baltimore because some people have said, I'm going to put the needs of others ahead of my own. And that's the way the church is supposed to function. If you come to church saying, what is this going to do for me? Then we're already set in the deficit because relationships are supposed to be, what can I do for you? How can I love you? Now, this doesn't mean that there's abuse. So let me just speak to this because we'll get to it later in the Gospel of John, but you don't have to keep serving an abuser because how is God honored in self-giving love when only one person is self-giving? So we'll talk more about that in a few weeks because we're meant to serve each other out of a posture of relinquishing. Let me give up my power so that you can have some. All right, so we have God, we have love in the first three verses of Genesis 1, and then we also have darkness. Under the word of God, chaos is brought to light. Orderliness comes to this darkness. Darkness is a residual theme throughout all of Scripture. We don't have time to get into all of it this morning, but let me address it in a couple of different ways. In the Exodus story of Israel coming out of Egypt, many people have always wondered why the 10 plagues? 
Why would it take 10 plagues? Why didn't Pharaoh just concede and let the people go before the 10th plague? Well, there's been people that have argued, and I, I'm really starting to find that I, it resonates with me in this, because the Pharaoh could have stepped back and been like, wow, we're experiencing a lot of tragedy. So as when Moses struck the Nile, it first turned into what? Blood. And then the next one was what came out of the Nile River? Frogs. And then once the frogs all started dying, what showed up next? No flies. So let me just ask you this. If a river goes dead and the sea life ends up on the shore, then what generally follows? Flies. And then pestilence starts killing animals. Like, right, like, like these diseases start spreading. Animals. Could you imagine Pharaoh being like, wow, then that's, there's a problem with the Nile. The, the wildlife is dying. It's coming onto the shores, causing a headache for all of us. Now they're dying. And now flies are showing up. Disease is spreading everywhere. Our animals are now dying. And even down to the point, it's it like the, 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 the straw that broke the camel's back is when it finally was the angel of death, the miraculous hand of God that set them free. But there's this darkness. Could you almost view the Exodus story as an undoing of the order and the beauty that God had established when he spoke over darkness? Sin destroys God's order. Sin destroys the way that God designed things to be. And then we find in Matthew chapter 27 that when Jesus was on the cross, what came to visit? Darkness. Was the undoing because of the sin that was coming on Jesus, was all that undoing of creation coming onto Jesus so that creation could be reborn? Matthew actually says that tombs opened up and dead people started walking around. So there's so much about that story of Jesus being on the cross and the darkness showing up, but yet when the Father, Son, and Spirit are working together in darkness, there can be this recreated order that comes to be. When we are told, have no other gods before us, it's going back to Genesis saying there was only one God in the beginning that made a design. So if we break having that God in our design, and we pick another God to dictate our design, it's very likely that we take what God intended with a purpose and we turn it into something that it wasn't intended. And it's not God punishing us, it's the fact that we're undoing creation. So what can we do? How can we turn back? I think it was John Stott that said, God isn't just just. That's a tongue twister. Stick with it. I'll say it again. God isn't just just. He's recreating. He's gracious. He's generous. He's kind. And in Jesus Christ, the one that became unmade to be remade, to set up a pattern of remakers, is that we're joining in to what John cited is, let's go back to the beginning. God has had a design for us all along. We are going against his design. 
Jesus has come to show us how to live in that design so that we can be a part of a creation that God wants to be vibrant on this earth. So much about what's happening around us is that we need to learn from Jesus over these next 20 weeks this self-giving love that will allow us to be who we're supposed to be. Jesus set an example for self-giving love and he wants us to be an example of self-giving love so that the beauty of his creation can be flourishing. So some of you in here today, are you living in and through Jesus Christ? Are you living your life based upon the origin story? Or are you living your life based upon something else is your God? Today, it is as simple as you saying, Lord Jesus, I give you my life to help us to get back to the place where God is the designer and we're not. God is the designer and not your parents. God is the designer and not some other force that has told you you need to be something other than what he's designed you to be. It just starts with Jesus, I give you my life. I'm gonna invite the worship team back up on the stage with me right now and we're gonna get ready to sing together a closing song. And we normally go during the song to get the Lord's Supper supplies. I'm just gonna ask you to be fully present in the song and then at the end of the song, I'm gonna come back and we're gonna go through the Lord's table experience together. So that's a change for those of you that have been around for a while. We're going to pause that just for a moment because I want you to right now have your undivided attention on is God your designer? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, which means that Jesus was the one that breathed life into you. And we need to walk in his will in his way. And let's let that be the posture of our heart as either the song is being sung over you or you join into the singing of this song. But let today be a reset for some of you. Let today be a new day for some of you. Jesus, I give you my life. Others of you, like God, I've had another God before you. I confess that you are my one true God. Let's take time to do that and then I'll be back up. There are gonna be people that are be ready to pray for you at the back of the room. So if you're hearing this song sung over you and you want somebody to pray for you, just make your way to the back of the room and you'll find them there and they'll be happy to meet you in prayer as we try to set our hearts on the one true God for us. Thank you so much for joining us on the Gallery Church Podcast. I want you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your mind and heart. Let Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, do the deep work that only he can do. I want to say thank you to everyone who gives to the church. Your gifts make this podcast and ministry possible here in Baltimore and other parts of the world. You can be a part of our work by going to gallerychurchbaltimore.com give or by downloading the church app from the app store. You can also subscribe and share these podcasts with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening or watching and may God's grace and peace be with you.